All right, nine miles. You get up here, son. My goodness. Has it been three years? Just about. Just, just about? Yes, it's getting close to three years. So, um, man, it's been a privilege here at Jinx Bible when this, this young man showed up and has, uh, he's, he's left an imprint upon this body. I, I, probably most of you know him to some degree, one degree or another. And uh, his life has touched yours to, to one degree or another. I know my family has been richly uh, blessed uh, through you, brother. So we, uh, we say thank you for your, your love of this body and the way you serve so faithfully here. Uh, we, we, are, we are blessed and enriched as, as a result of you being here. And we're going to miss this young man. He's, uh, he's taking a job <coughs> uh, that lands him in Arkansas. We don't know exactly how long. We're praying it's short. I mean, not the job short, <laughs> but the assignment in Arkansas. They said that he might be able to do that same job out of Tulsa here someday, so we're praying that that might come sooner <laughs> rather than later. Yes, sir. Yeah. So um, why don't you tell us just quickly what you're doing and, and okay. um, say your farewells to this body. Yes, sir. Well, um, so I guess it was October. I, 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 so for y'all, don't everyone who doesn't know, I, I got engaged. Yeah. Uh, in, December, and um, yeah, Olivia, she's sitting right over there, but... Um, hey, should we get her up here? You want to get her up here? <laughs> I'll, I'll let her. <laughs> I think she's good over there, yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, so uh, kind of a funny story. She babysat for um, a guy that owns a, a farm and ranch real estate brokerage firm, and um, and and. For you guys that don't know, I was uh, an ag business major at OSU and then went to TCU at the, uh, through the ranch management program. So that's kind of always been, uh, you know, kind of my love and passion. And um, uh, this guy, we went to lunch, and I, I just wanted to kind of get pick his brain a little bit and see what he did. And he ended up offering me a job, and uh, they wanted me to move to Arkansas. Um, and he said the Fort Smith area, which is kind of strange because, you know, uh, Arkansas Fayetteville, Northwest Arkansas is kind of the place, but uh, he mentioned Fort Smith, which is interesting because all my mom's family's from Salisaw, Oklahoma, which is right there on the border and stuff, and I've got, you know, connections in Fort Smith. I actually worked down there one summer in college, so anyway, just very kind of a providential thing, and, and I felt like uh, it was the, the right move to make, um, but I, and I, the hardest thing that I will do leaving here is leaving Jinx Bible Church because of what uh, each one of you all has meant to me over the last, uh, I guess, going on three years now. Um, I mean, uh, I, I, this has been one of the greatest blessings of my life, and I've got people in here, uh, Pastor Ben, Matt, uh, the Avert boys here, Mikel, and uh, my brothers that I've just gotten really close with and uh, over the years, and uh, uh, you know, so many more that I could name, and, and uh, just I just love each one of you guys, and I'm very thankful for um, you know, y- y- y'all's ministry to me and uh, just allowing me to um, serve in, in this uh, body. It's been one of the greatest privileges of my life. And um, I'm just, uh, man, it, it's like, it's so hard to leave. It's just, uh, you know, it feels like I'm leaving family here. So, um, but, you know, Lord willing, I mean, who knows what the future, future holds. They said if I wanted to move back to Oklahoma, uh, you know, in a few years, we could uh, maybe look at something, doing something here. So, who knows uh, if I ever come back here? I know where I, I've got a church. So, <laughs> uh, 
that's right. But I, you know, I just very thankful for each one of you guys, and uh, you know, just uh, would ask for for prayers and finding a, a new church. And I, you know, it's going to be hard not to compare everything to Jinx Bible Church because I love this place so much and love you all so much. So um, thank you all, and uh, and uh, we'll see you see you soon. So absolutely. Well, if you would like to uh, join me and just kind of put a hand on this brother and as we pray for him, free, feel free to come up and do that. Um, or you can just do it from right there where you're at. Father God, we give you thanks for the body of Christ. We all need a biblical community in which we can grow, be held accountable for growth, to love and to be loved, to, 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 to cry with, to laugh with, all the, all the emotions of, of one's life, uh, to share. And as iron sharpens iron, so these brothers here have been sharpening each other we give you thanks for Ryan Miles and for the impact that his life has had upon this body and that, that's, that this body has had in his life. We're so thankful for the intersection that you brought uh, us together and that we found a common love in Christ and in your word and the desires to know you through your word. And, and uh, Lord, it's so encouraging to have watched this young man in the last three years and his, his growth and, and his knowledge of God's word moving into teaching in the youth and um, discipling youth. And, Lord, it's just such a, a privilege of ours. And, and now, Lord, we, as a church family, um, we're, uh, we are glad to be able to send this one out um, with his uh, soon-to-be bride, Olivia. And we would pray that you would make the path straight and that they would find another local church that will love them as this one has, that they would find a place where they can connect and grow and serve and be a part of a biblical community that, that loves and honors Christ and seeks to make him known in the community in which they live. So, Lord, we, we pray this, as, he, as he heads up there to Arkansas that uh, you would make each and every step his paths straight. We give you thanks for this young man. Keep your hand of mercy and grace upon him, we pray in Christ's name. And everybody said. That's how you leave a church right there, brothers and sisters, isn't it? You get involved, you get connected, you become a part of the family, you serve the body, you love the body, and then when Lord, the Lord says, hey, I need you on another assignment, I need to pick you up and move you over here for a bit, you say, roger that, and you're willing to go. I remember Ryan, he's, Ryan's been telling me for three years, I ain't ever leaving Jinx Bible Church, <laughs> right? He'd say, I'm looking for a job, but that job has to land me at Jinx Bible Church. 
So I know for a fact that the Lord really put it on his heart that this was what he needed to do because I've heard Ryan say that to me on so many occasions. I know it had to be a clear indication from the Lord that this was what he needed to do. He loves you guys so deeply. And we love you, brother. We're going to miss you. Olivia, man, we were just getting to know you. You two are like two peas in a pod, I can tell. Made for each other. Well, this morning... <clears throat> We're continuing in our study of Matthew's gospel, so if you've brought your copy of God's Word with you, open to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be covering verses 21 down through verse 26, which begins the section of Jesus' sermon where he's going to show by example uh, what he means by saying that he didn't come to abolish the law or the prophets, but to fulfill them. Now, perhaps by way of prudence, we need to just kind of take a peek at that verse back that Pastor Matt preached to us last week there in verse, chapter 5, verse 17. This is a very um, seminal verse in the book of Matthew and for the entirety of the New Testament and a right understanding of, of the Old Testament and its application and how we as New Testament people of God the people of God today are to uh, live in light of these testaments. Jesus says here in Matthew 5, 17, Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish the law or the prophets, the Old Testament scriptures, but to fulfill. As Pastor Matt rightly said last week, Jesus did not come to destroy this, uh, this idea of abolish, this idea of of demolishing the Old Testament scriptures, of tearing that down. Instead, his coming was designed to actually bring the Old Testament scriptures to their God-ordained fulfillment, or we might use the word completion. Uh, The Old Testament scriptures find their completion in the person and life of Jesus Christ. We looked at these verses last week, Luke 24, 27, then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets. And right there, what, what do we have? we have? We have the law and the prophets. He interpreted to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. In all the scriptures, in the entirety of the Old Testament, as viewed as in the consumption of Moses and the prophets, the law and the prophets, the Old Testament scriptures find their their essence, their fulfillment, their completion in Christ. And we saw this also in John 5, 39, when Jesus said to those disciples he was with, he said, you search the scriptures. These are the Old Testament scriptures. This is Moses and and the prophets. He says, you search them because you think that in them you have eternal life. And when in reality, what they found in them was the pathway, the the, 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 the covenants, the, those guardrails that, that were to lead to life, that were to lead to the seed of the woman from Genesis 3.15. That's what they found in them. In them you have eternal life that was pointing to the blessing that was going to come to the one that would be a blessing to the world in fulfillment of that unilateral covenant there that God made with Abraham. And Jesus confers this. He says, it is these, these Old Testament scriptures that bear witness about me. Jesus was indeed the fulfillment, the completion of all the law and the prophets. They bore witness to 
him and his coming. And until we interpret and see the Old Testament properly and see that in them, that it, all of those passages, all of that leads to Jesus Christ, we're not seeing it correctly. Jesus is the completion, the fulfillment of the law. And it's for this reason that there's no longer a need for the sacrificial system, the shedding of blood of bulls, goats, heifers, for the forgiveness of sins. It's for this reason that the restrictive Jewish dietary code is no longer required for the people of God. Amen? Amen. Some of you had your bacon this morning, probably. And it's for this reason that the strict observance of certain holy days is no longer required for the people of God. Jesus brought an end to the ceremonial laws of sacrifice and dietary laws, not in a way that abolished them, but in a way that completed them, fulfilled them, that brought them to their completion, their intended end. And that, if you think about it, under the providence of God and in the fullness of time. And aren't we all glad for that? Jesus came in the fullness of time in accordance to the providence of God and thus inaugurated a new covenant in his blood. Whereby these things have found their fulfillment and so I always like to think of it in a very simple way that God says, be holy as I am holy, and we strive for that, right? Um, but when God sees me, he sees Christ. He sees this, this sacrificial blood that was shed for the, at, at the cross of Calvary, and I've, I've clinged to Christ. I, I, I've repented of my sins and laid them all at the foot of the cross, and his blood was a covering for them all. And so when God sees me, he's seeing me through that shed blood of Christ. And he sees me now as a perfect law keeper. Because Christ was the perfect law keeper. Christ was the fulfillment of the law. And so now I'm down here and I'm putting to death the deeds of the flesh by walking according to the Spirit on a daily basis in context of biblical community with brothers and sisters in Christ who love me, who are sharpening me like iron sharpens iron. And that's what we do in our sojourning, right? That's our pilgrim's progress until our time is called and he takes us home. Isn't that a really simple but awesome story when you think about it? And that's your life. These are the days, if you will, of our <laughs> lives. That's, that's old. <laughs> if you're not 50 or older, you probably don't even know about that. That one. That's okay. But also, as Pastor Matt showed us last week, uh, this reality uh, by no means was uh, an indication that there was an end to the moral law of God. Uh, the Ten Commandments and the moral timeless truths that we see in the Old Testament are still required to be obeyed and observed by God's children down to this very day. As a matter of fact, what we are about to see Jesus do in this great sermon of his is to take these, some of these, a few of these Old Testament moral commands as prescribed there in the Old Testament scriptures and not only affirm them, but then take them to an all-new level of, of, of application within our lives as a way of showing the kind of righteousness that God now requires from his kids. And you perhaps remember this verse from last week as well. This transitions us perfectly into verse 21 today. But remember, Jesus taught there. He said, I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses 
that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, the scribes and the Pharisees were very fastidious in their religion and their religionessness. They were they were works oriented. And Jesus is saying, if you don't have a righteousness that surpasses that, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. So where does that where does that leave us? Where they? Well, wait a second. I don't think I can be as fastidious in keeping all these things that the Pharisees are doing. And the point is, is you don't have to. And it would seem that Jesus is maybe in a, in one sense maybe lowering the bar, but what we're about to see is that in reality, he elevates the bar so high, and it has nothing to do with works, and <laughs> it has everything to do with your heart. It has everything to do with the heart. Now, perhaps this reminds us of where Jesus began in this great sermon of his, what we call the Sermon on the Mount, when he began there with the Beatitudes, right? Remember, we went through those for about five weeks where Jesus placed his primary focus where? Well, on that which is internal, uh, in the matters of the heart of, of man and, and um, what true repentance looks like at a heart level by showing us that the life of one who comes to follow Christ looks differently as a result of a profession of faith in him. And as a result of genuine repentance, we were promised, according to the new covenant in Jeremiah 30, we were promised new what? New hearts. That God said he's going to establish a new covenant with the people of God. It says there with the people of Israel, the nation of Israel. We know Jesus inaugurated that new covenant there at the cross of Calvary. And that the people of God now, as a result of coming to him, by faith, through repentance, we are given new hearts. And from that place, from that place that's internal, not some keeping of some external codes, but from an internal place, we now have the capacity and new desires that want to be pleasing to God, that desire to love him and walk in accordance with his ways. And so now Jesus is going to do the same thing in showing us how this plays out. And in particular, he's going to show this to us using uh, the sixth commandment and dealing with the issue of murder. And while he doesn't go through this sermon and tackle every single moral command within the Old Testament and say, You heard it was said this, but I say to you this. Even though he doesn't do that with every single one of the commandments in the Old Testament, these are examples and illustrations of what it looks like that Jesus, when he came to fulfill the law, to complete the law, some of them were done away in him perfectly, and some of them he fulfilled in the sense of saying, this is what you've heard, but this is now the application of this at the heart level, and this is what God now demands from you, from the heart. And those who have repented and have had their spiritual eyes open, we're going, yes, we get this, we see this. But notice how Jesus is going to use this teaching to kind of elevate uh, the eyes of those who are listening, who just heard that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And what did John come preaching and what did Jesus preach? If you want to get into the kingdom of heaven, you need to repent of your sin. But if you can't surpass this kind of righteousness, you're not getting in. And Jesus is going to show you the kind of righteousness that that is.
Notice how he does this. Look at verse 21. He says, you've heard that, it, that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. So Jesus here states the sixth commandment of God's prohibition against taking the life of your fellow man. Thou shalt not murder. And the natural outcome of committing murder would be that of a, of a civil trial. And thus you would be liable to the court. And if the court found you guilty of said crime, murder, uh, according to the Old Testament law, the, the outcome of said crime would be the death penalty. It would be life for life. If you shed man's blood by man, your blood will be shed. So we see here in no way is Jesus abolishing this prohibition of, of thou shalt not murder. He's instead upholding it. He's affirming it, as would everyone who is listening to him. They all would be saying, yes and amen. We, we, we have heard that. And that's what's been passed down to us from our Old Testament scriptures. They would be affirming that. But then, when we get to verse 22, we discover um, that the, the act of committing murder itself was simply only an outward manifestation of something more profound, something more um, seminal to man, and that is that it originates from the heart, from the inward attitude which is itself we're going to see culpable whether or not it actually commits the crime of murder or not. Jesus is going to show us that we will be held accountable for our angry thoughts and hateful words and that hellfire itself is an appropriate judgment for such angry, murderous hearts. Look at verse 22. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. Now, Jesus' use of this court right here is obviously drawing our attention to the latter part of verse 21. Whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. It's, that was a very realistic representation of what would happen if you went to court for the potential crime of murder. The court would make a decision after hearing witnesses and you would be liable to their judgment. Jesus is saying here that if you are that that everyone, not just a few of you, but that every one of you who's ever been angry with his brother shall be guilty before that same court. Now you're not going to actually and physically be drugged before that same court and then find you guilty of anger against your brother. But the point is, is that Jesus is saying that you know in your own heart of hearts whether or not you have harbored anger in your heart. And if you have anyone, every one of you who has harbored anger in his heart against his brother would be guilty before that said very court. The same as if he had committed the actual murder itself, guilty. And so in essence, what we might think of here is that Jesus puts every single one of us on notice. Notice he says, but I say to you, that everyone, so every single person Jesus is putting on notice here, and he lets us know that we cannot justify ourselves in the eyes of God simply because we have not committed a physical act of murder. So you read the sixth commandment, and you say, thou shalt not murder. I'm, I'm doing fairly well. I've never murdered anyone. And Jesus says, yeah, but have you had anger in your heart towards them? The same court would find you guilty of hellfire. 
I mean, such a statement would have shocked those listening, and perhaps it's still shocking some of us here this morning today as well, as it should. I think our normal um, tendency is to say, well, listen, I didn't actually commit the act. I may, have, I may have felt it in my heart, and I may have wanted to get a piece of flesh, but I, I, under self-control of the Holy Spirit, through the Spirit, I, I held back. And so why am I not kind of awarded for that? And in doing so, what are we, what are we doing for ourselves? We play the role of God for ourselves. We establish moral oughtness, moral rightness. We get determined the way things should go, the way we would like them to go in accordance with, thing, with the ways that would make it nice for us. Jesus here says, and it is shocking, he declares that a person that is guilty of anger is no less guilty of violating the moral commands of God than the one who committed murder. Listen to how the, the Apostle John made application of Jesus' teaching here in 1 John 3.15. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. You think John had spent a little time listening to Jesus? Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And if you think John has gone too far here, Notice the end of verse 22 with Jesus' teaching. He started off saying, Everyone who's angry with his brother shall be guilty, as if he had committed murder. And John says, If you hate your brother, you, you're just like a murderer. But notice how he finishes this. And whoever says to his brother, You good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. So, here we've got the court, and here we've got the Supreme Court. So if you were questioning whether this court was sufficient enough to find you guilty, we're going to ramp it up to the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. <clears throat> this is why John said what he said, that if you hate your brother... You are a murderer, and murderers, those who hate their brother, they do not have eternal life abiding in them. You think the preaching of Jesus when he says, if you want to enter into my eternal kingdom, what's, what's necessary? It's repentance. I keep the outward, I keep the laws. I'm, a, I'm, I'm an observer of the laws of God. I haven't murdered anybody. I don't think I've stolen anything. If I did, it was by a pure accident. To the best of my recollection, I've never told a lie. I've, I'm a keeper of the law. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. Your, their, your righteousness has to surpass that of the scribes and the Pharisees. That's what they were really good at. They were really good at, at keeping those ten commandments and doing all that external stuff. They were very good at that. But no, I'm taking it to the level of the heart. And so your level of righteous, righteousness must exceed that. And God is saying from the heart, you have to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. So where does that leave us? <laughs> it leaves us exactly where Jesus is wanting to leave everybody. In recognition that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No matter how great your resume may look, 
I've, I'm not a bad person. I do good things. I'm nice to people. I'm not a murderer. I'm not a thief. I don't lie. No matter how good your resume may be, we all know at the heart level, and this is probably why he picked this one, at the heart level, we've all come to the place where we've said, you good for nothing. Now, this, this, this good for nothing is the translation of a Greek word, raka, which is a really difficult word to translate. So here it's been translated good for nothing. Um, it it kind of has a broad description of just slander, of purposeful, uh, hateful, abuse, abusive speech towards another person. You raka. Have you ever had a chance to <clears throat> say something similar to raka probably to someone in your life? You see, Jesus is letting us all know that from the heart level, we're all guilty. Uh, oh, and then if that wasn't enough, <clears throat> he goes on and he says, and whoever says you fool, uh, it's from the Greek word morose. We get a, an English translation like moron, empty head, lame brain, some term of derision towards someone that we don't like because they cut us off in traffic or something. And, um, you know, Jesus is showing the seriousness of the issue of the heart and that when the heart is sinful against God, we're guilty. And he says we're guilty enough to go into the fiery hells. We're going to be guilty before the courts and guilty enough to go to hell. And as such, where does this leave us? It leaves us right where he began. Matthew began his gospel with John the Baptist came preaching of repentance, a baptism of repentance. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus came after his baptism preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And if you have an interest and desire for entering into the kingdom of heaven, your righteousness must surpass that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And Jesus is showing us through the sixth commandment, that of thou shalt not murder, that we, are, we all have murderous hearts. And none of us are deserving the kingdom of heaven unless we truly repent of our sin before God. The outward resume matters not. It's truly a matter of the heart. And that's where Jesus leaves us. And it should leave us realizing that we're not as innocent before God as we previously thought. We don't stand and say, oh, Lord, uh, thank you that, that you didn't make me as uh, this person over here. I, I do this and I do that and I'm, I'm always at every potluck and I show up and I'm the good person. Thank it's the heart. So um, how, are we, how are we doing this morning at the heart level? Hopefully, hopefully we've, we're all in the same basket here this morning, right? We're all in need of grace. We're all in need of repentance, of recognizing that we have sinned against the holiness of God, calling sin what it is, repenting of sin, and following Christ. That's what Jesus has graciously done with everybody here in, the, in his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. Because obviously the sin of anger against a brother or a sister is far more likely than that of murder, but no less serious and equally demanding divine justice all the same. 
And it's for this reason that Jesus then follows up this teaching with two simple, if you will, illustrations that are almost in, in the form of a parable, both of which show the urgency and importance of doing something about said matter, the need for reconciliation. In this case, the need for reconciliation with a brother or sister, because what did John say? If you, if you hate your brother, you're a murderer, and no murderer has eternal life in them. And so if we find ourselves that perhaps today we even have some anger and some thoughts of bitterness in our heart towards somebody even today, there might be a need for us today to make that call, to schedule that appointment and to get things right with said brother and or sister. Listen to these two illustrations. The first is from verse 23 through 24. Jesus said, therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, you've come to church to sing praise to God and to worship his name on high. It's a little bit of a different context, obviously, than this one. But if you are there, therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Now, in this illustration, Jesus looks to communicate, it seems, primarily one thing in particular. This illustration, that's why it's, it's similar to that of a parable. Sometimes with parables, you don't strain after every last detail in the parable you'll find yourself wandering out in some field somewhere coming up with a strange doctrine based upon some thread within a parable. You look for the, you look for that, the, the, the core, the synchronon of this parable. What's the one thing without which this parable doesn't really make sense? What's it going after? And it seems that in this illustration, the one thing <coughs> that Jesus <coughs> is going after is the need and the importance of immediate reconciliation with an offended brother or sister. It's so important, the need for immediate reconciliation with an offended brother or sister. What's he say? He says, um, get up and go. Leave your offering. You say, Pastor, what might that look like here today? Do I need to get up and just walk out the back door and say, I'll be back next week? Perhaps. Here, I'll, let me just, I won't look. I'll see y'all next week. Matt, finish that for me. No. <laughs> it strips us bare, does it not? The immediate need for reconciliation. If you find yourself in a good church service and you remember that you've sinned against a brother or a sister, perhaps you've said Raka, leave, go, and be reconciled. Jesus shows us that reconciliation with offended brothers and sisters demands decisive action on our part. This isn't something that we put off for another day. We shouldn't even have the thought that there is another day. Because if we have the unrepentant sin of Raka in our heart toward a brother or sister, how do we know for certain that we have possessed and are possessors of life and life eternal, of eternal life? How can we know that certainly when the scriptures say that if you have hatred in your heart, you're as a murderer and no murderer has eternal life in them? Well, that's not talking about me. 
I mean, after all, look at my resume. I am pretty good. This person just really rubs me wrong. Mm. <laughs> you got anybody like that in your life? Probably so. Jesus is showing the immediate need for decisive action for reconciliation. And then he does this again, but differently. Notice the next illustration from verse 25 through 26. He said, make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way, so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and you be thrown into prison. Truly I say to you, you will not come out of there until you have paid up the last cent. Here again we have an illustration of the importance of reconciliation, but this time it's in quite a different context with a more threatening scenario as you, as you see here, of, of imprisonment. So th- this opponent here in this illustration is apparently like a legal plaintiff who has a strong case against you of not having paid a debt that was owed and the likelihood of conviction is very apparent, at which time you will be thrown into debtor's prison with no chance of getting out until it says the debt has been paid in full. And as such, Jesus gives this advice make friends what quickly with your opponent the one that's going to perhaps hand you over to the judge to the officer that's going to have you thrown into prison Jesus says make friends quickly with this opponent of yours he's got a legitimate reason to hand you over to the prosecution quickly make reconciliation with your brother on the way so perhaps he may show mercy and leniency towards you and so as far as it depends on you do not allow bad relationships to remain unresolved i can almost hear the the, that at the 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 that voice echoing in my head yeah but pastor ben I've tried, but they just, they just won't reciprocate, so there's still bad blood. As far as it depends on you, be at peace with what? With all men. You, be decisive and quickly make friends. Quickly reconcile. If someone has something, an offense against you, you've, you've offended someone, you've called them a raka. You go, you stop what you're doing, all that religious stuff, a relationship with Jesus at this point needs to be put on hold because that's significant because it's a reflection of your heart. And if your heart's not right with God, there's a need for genuine repentance. The accoutrements of the external life will not get you in. It has to surpass that of the, of the scribes and the Pharisees. So here we have two very different illustrations, both with one underlying message. And that is at the time for reconciliation, both with your fellow man and more importantly with God, is now. Like right now. Don't put things off for tomorrow that can and needs to be taken care of today. We are not to allow bitterness or anger or hatred of any sort to keep us separated from others because that will keep us separated from God. Because as John said, the sin of anger is as the sin of murder. And if you hold bitterness and anger in your heart against your fellow man, you surely cannot love God rightly. Listen to how John said this later in chapter 4 of 1 John. He says, if someone says, confession time, 
If someone says, I love God, isn't that good? That's good, right? Come on, work with me. That's good. I love God. Do you love God? I love God. Yes, I do. I love God. How about you? Okay, I'm getting you back in here with me. But, or and, Jesus teaching hates his brother. John just puts the cookies on the bottom. He says he's, that person's a liar. This confession of the lips is negated by the life. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God properly. We may have our own idea of loving God, our own concepts of loving God, but we need to be those who submit to the Scripture's ideas of loving God and concepts of loving God. God, God gets to make the rules, right? We still like to make the rules. Now, cannot love God whom he has not seen, and this commandment, now notice this, and this commandment we have from him, and this him would be Jesus. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. That would be brothers and sisters in Christ. That would be your fellow man, even those who are not brothers and sisters in Christ. Perhaps they're a little bit, well, I don't know. I was about to say perhaps they're a little bit more difficult to love. I don't know. Um, I've been on both sides of that one. Some, wouldn't there, every church would be perfect if it just weren't for people, right? Has anybody ever stepped on your toe in a church? Kind of uh, hurt your feelings a little bit? What a blessed opportunity to get to demonstrate the love of God. The commandment that we have from him is the one who loves God should, and I kind of like some translations that say will, love his brother also. And I think it's for this reason that the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4, gleaning from some of the teaching of Christ here, he says this, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Deal with your anger before the sun goes down. God wants you dealing with issues of the heart, and this is a big issue of the heart. It lets us know that, that we're not, you know, uh, these good people who do good things, and then there's kind of the bad people who do the bad things that we read about in the paper. It lets us know that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all people for all time are in need of a Savior and are in need of genuine repentance. And Jesus beautifully weaves this truth together through the sixth commandment and shows how that every single human soul has a murderous heart as in, and is in need of grace and forgiveness of God. And he says through these two illustrations, do this quickly. Yes, it has application to brothers and sisters, but on a, on a larger scale, it has application with God as well. A fool says in his heart there is no God. Quickly, today is the day of salvation. So, Listen, listen to me. If you're here this morning and you recognize in your heart of hearts you've never really repented of your sin and turned to follow Christ, to make Christ the Lord of your lives, do so quickly. Reconciliation with the Father is the most important thing that a person will ever do. And second to that is with your fellow man, with a brother or sister, a mom or a dad, a son or a daughter, a neighbor, a friend, a classmate, 
a teammate, whoever it may be, you're at odds as far as it depends on you. You need to be at peace with all people. And you today need to make that call. Did you hear the voice from the scriptures? Did you hear Jesus' teaching? It's a very serious and urgent issue. Let's do that quickly. Amen. Let's pray.